Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. My name is Josh Bertram. I'm the Family Life Director here at Grace Crossing Church. It's great to have you here this morning on this beautiful June summer morning. Can you believe it's June? Hello. I cannot believe that. It's amazing. And we're in the middle of an exciting time at our church. We're about five weeks into the ministry renewal. Uh, Pastor Gill will be returning in a few weeks. Everyone give a hand. No, I'm just He'll be returning in a few weeks, and we're all going to be happy to see him. But if you've signed up out there to uh, make sure that you're praying for him in one of those time slots, please make sure you're faithful to that and that you're going out there and checking, putting it on your calendar to make sure you're praying for he and Kelly. Uh, again, praying for God's vision, uh, just for a refreshing of his spirit and a renewed vision uh, for the church that uh, God would place into his heart. We already know he's already uh, forming that right now, and, and it's probably in its final stages, and we're so happy about that. And uh, we'll be excited to see him in a few weeks. But today, we're in uh, week five of our series, All In. And basically, this idea of the series revolves around one idea, one big idea, that our devotion determines our direction. What I mean is what you are devoted to, what drives you inside, your inner motivations will, and to a large part, determine the quality and the reality of your life 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Every day what we're devoted to determines where we're going, uh, the direction of our lives and of our souls. And we looked at the early church, and we asked the question, what should we be devoted to? We all are devoted to something, but what should we be devoted to? And we saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we looked at this, and it says, they were continually devoting themselves, and that they refers to the church, right? The people that God had called out of sin, right? That he had uh, called on that day, uh, including the apostles and the original uh, disciples of Jesus, and all the people who were added to the number on that great day. You can go read it in Acts 2. But they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, the second week of All In, Pastor Ashley talked about how we uh, need to apply God's word, how the application and living out of the principles of Jesus Christ as seen in the word of God is essential for the Christian. The next week, Life Anderson talked to us about prayer, a raw sermon about where, where he was at and what it means to be in relationship with God through prayer, communicating uh, to Jesus uh, how important that is and essential for a church and what it means to be devoted to communicating to God and receiving that communication from God. Last week, Tim, uh, Pastor Tim, talked about how we uh, need to be in community and how we, a church devoted to community, devoted to the, uh, devoted to the idea that we would be devoted to one another, that we would be in community with each other and connected, and that nobody would be a loner, but we'd all be in some kind of communion, how powerful it was. Any of those sermons are still available on the podcast. We encourage you, if you missed one, to go back and listen. But now we're on the week, the fifth week, which is going to talk about the breaking of bread. Now we're going to have to explain this a little bit because all you guys are like, man, I'm already devoted to breaking bread. I mean, I break bread at McDonald's. I break bread at Burger King. 
Uh, you know, any college students out there, you know you're breaking bread. Yeah, I see you, man. <laughs> breaking bread at McWendy's. Uh, did I forget one? Like, you know what it's like. No, that's not exactly what it's talking about, though. It's not talking about eating, although there's a part of it that means eating. Uh, but what this is actually referring to is what's called the, uh, some of you know, is the Eucharist. Uh, we call it either the Lord's Supper or communion. And basically, it's the idea that we come together to remember, uh, remember what Christ did. Christ gave it to his disciples on his last meal before he went to the cross. And he told them to do this in remembrance of me. And so from then, 2,000 years ago and more, we've been continuing that tradition, that practice that Christ gave us of breaking bread and communion. But what that really is, when you look at the broader picture, is it's actually experiencing God as a community. See, what they do is the early Christians would come together, they'd eat together, they'd go into this practice that Jesus gave them, and a lot of what we do today, actually, we draw from back then. When you begin to look at the evidence surrounding New Testament, archaeological evidence, and things like that, what you see is that they sang together, that they prayed together, that they listened to the Word being taught to them, together, and they all came together as a community to experience God. And so when we're talking about breaking bread, we're actually talking about experiencing God as a community. And they were devoted to that. And see, 2,000 years ago, it happened, and it's continued for 2,000 years, and the church is continuing, and Christ's power is continuing, and we can see that that model, that pattern works. That's what we inherited from Christ. There's all sorts of methods built around that that denominations do, but centrally, we experience God as a community consistently together. Now, we need to kind of come to an understanding today, and what I'd like to do is come to an understanding of what, you know, what is church and what does it mean. And uh, last week, Tim talked about that, and, and again, that was, that was a great sermon. It talked about how, uh, you know, church isn't defined um, necessarily physically, and we, we need to look at a few misconceptions about what church is before we can really begin to define it. And there's two very pervasive ones right now in, in the American culture and American church. And the first one, again, as, as Tim addressed briefly last week, is that, uh, is that church is not a place. It's this misconception that church is just a building. It's just a place. And see, uh, I, I want to kind of take it a little bit of a different direction. Look, when you look at the church as just being a place, right, just this physical building, it's really easy to compartmentalize it. Well, spiritual stuff happens at church. It doesn't really happen outside, right? That's church. It's a place. That's where God is. Okay, okay. You actually guys know that if you look it up in the dictionary, New American English Oxford, Oxford English Dictionary, that it, it defines church, the very principal definition is a building for worship. But what we're going to see is that that is completely wrong, at least how Jesus defined it. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. And, and, and what, here's what it says, okay? So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about smack dab in the middle of his ministry. He's moving into, uh, he's going to start heading towards Jerusalem. He's done with his Galilean ministry and the surrounding areas uh, around that big city. And so he's moving into Jerusalem where he knows what's going to happen. And he's talking to his disciples, and they get into this conversation. And uh, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and, and, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he's talking about himself. Now, right over Caesarea Philippi, it was built uh, by, uh, by the Roman Empire. Okay, and we have this huge statue of Caesar, who everyone thought was a god. Right, looming over. They're literally almost in the shadow of this huge statue. 
right? And Jesus is asking this question. Right? The irony is thick. Who do people say I am? And uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. These are, uh, John the Baptist was uh, Jesus' cousin who had ministered before uh, he came onto the scene, uh, actually baptized him. Uh, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet and hero. And still others, Jeremiah, that's another one of the prophets, or other of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, by people, or by human wisdom, but by my Father in heaven. This was divine. And I tell you that you, Peter, are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. And when Jesus says he's going to build his church, what's interesting about that word is it's not a word for a building or a temple. They had those words. No, this was actually a word that meant a group of people called out for a specific purpose, to fulfill a specific mission. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and nothing is going to stop it. Death is the greatest enemy we'll ever face and even death won't stop his church. And it's continued from the very beginning all the way through today. And what I love about this is we are actually currently fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. We are meeting people, coming together, experiencing God as a community. We are his church. And it's still happening. A specific group of people called out for a specific purpose. Church is not a place, but it's a group of people that God's called out to do his mission. The second misconception that's uh, pervasive, and this one is kind of even more pervasive, is uh, that church is optional. Now, now the, I know this is a tough one, but the minute you start saying something is optional, right, it starts kind of going down in the whole value scale, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest, who's skipping out on the meeting that's optional at work? Come on, let, let's raise your hand. You know, optional, basically optional, that means no, I'm not going to that. It's Friday. I'm heading out. Optional is never the way that the Bible has described Christ's church. And there's three different ways, okay? There's three, three ways I kind of want to build that, the fact that it's not optional. The first is uh, that Jesus built it, like we see. Jesus built his church. He's the architect. He's the one who's making it happen. He's the force behind it. Now, Let's say, let's just say uh, there's a general contractor, okay? And this general contractor was building a building, and you thought, man, that's really nice. I like the way, I like this project. And you come to the general contractor, you're like, look, I really want to get involved with what you're doing, man. You're, you're, you know, you're making a name out there. You're doing well, so I want to get involved in that. And you come, and the contractor's like, okay, well, here's the blueprints, and here's the business plan, and here's what we're trying to do, and here's how you uh, come in under budget and uh, make sure you come in on time. And you're like, okay, okay. And then you walk out, and you just rip it up and say, oh, all that's optional. I don't really care about it. Well, you'd probably get fired. They wouldn't, really, they wouldn't really want you working for them because you've said that the builder, the architect, the person who's in charge of actually building it and getting it done, that they don't know what they're doing. So you don't want to be a part of what they're doing. Jesus built it. He's building it right now. And so if we're going to be part of what Jesus is doing, then we need to take his blueprint. We need to take his plans. And his plan is the church. That's his plan. 
There's another reason. Uh, the New Testament, which is the Gospels, one book of history, the book of Acts. Then it's a, lo- a lot of letters uh, to, from apostles, uh, leaders in the church, to different uh, church leaders and pastors around the uh, ancient uh, world. Okay, so we have this New Testament. And the New Testament absolutely everywhere assumes church is not optional. Just assumes church. Okay, assumes the experience of consistently meeting together, a group of people called out for a purpose. And we can see this if you begin to look, and y'all, you, know, you don't even have to take my word for it. You can go to the Bible and look and you know, start with Romans to the Roman, to the church in Rome. Okay, cool. Now go to Corinthians to the church in Corinth. Okay, great. Now go to Colossians oh, to the church at Colossae. Okay, great. Now go to Philippians to the church at Philippi. You guys starting to see a pattern here? And go to Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And then, oh, wait, wait, Timothy, Timothy. Oh, wait, but Timothy was a leader in the church. That, that Paul was sending his letter to. And so look through the entire New Testament. And what we have is we have house churches that meet. They're smaller groups of people that meet. Then we have churches that meet in whole cities, right? The whole city. So if Paul was writing a church, a letter to us, it would probably be to the church of Beaver Creek. And it would be to all the churches around here, all 7,000 of them, right? Around Beaver Creek, right? In this area. So that's what Paul would be doing. That's great. Okay, and then, and then there's churches to regions, which we would have countries and provinces. And then the even New Testament talks about the universal church, but at no point does the New Testament ever say you can be a Christian and a follower of Christ and not be in church. It assumes it. It assumes it so much that I really truly believe that if old St. Peter is right here, old St. Paul is right here, and we're talking to him, like, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't really get this old church thing. It's kind of optional for me they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. It'd be a completely foreign idea. The New Testament assumes that God's people will meet together. But not only does it assume it, it actually commands it. We're going to look at uh, Hebrews 11, uh, sorry, 10, 23 through 25. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised that Jesus is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see, the day, that's the day, the big day, right, when God um, judges everything and makes everything right, that day is approaching. Now, when you look at that, right, apparently this whole idea of church being optional isn't really that new, I mean, thousands of years ago, people were like, hey, man, I don't really feel this whole church thing. I don't really want to meet with people that's too messy or weird or inconvenient, so I'm not going to do that anymore. And the author of Hebrews is like, no, that's wrong, because here's the reality. Uh, You can't love and spur one another on towards love if you don't meet together. And you can't spur one another towards good deeds if you don't meet together. And it's impossible to encourage one another if you don't meet together consistently. And so what we see is a principle here, and, and, and uh, trust me, you can honestly uh, give you permission to forget absolutely everything I say today. Isn't that cool? Everything I can say, uh, you can forget it, except this. All right, there's a catch, except this. And you can write it down or put it in your phone, or whatever you got to do. Um, we either experience God consistently or we drift from God continuously. We either... Uh, uh, Come to God on a consistent basis with his people and experience what he has for us in his plan, or we begin to step by step, inch by inch, foot by foot, drift away from God. It's like, you know, when you, when you start at a certain place, right? A line, it'll just, uh, you know, the quickest way between two points is just a straight line. 
and you got this line, right? But then if you just slightly just tweak it, oh, just like one millionth of a degree, right, or whatever, as you begin to move, what happens? Gets a little bit further, gets a little bit further, gets a little bit further, gets a little bit further. See, this happened to me in college. I actually went to Bible college, but you wouldn't have known it a lot of times. And you know what happened? I I didn't stop believing. I always believed in God. I really did. I, I stopped going to church. I mean, I, I, you know, I had no good. I'd like to say, oh, well, in Sunday mornings, I'd get up and I'd meditate upon the uh, transfiguration of Christ. And all, but no, that nothing like that ever happened. I seriously was having church with Pastor Pillow, and I just wanted to sleep in. That's it. I was just tired and stupid and lazy. That's me. And, and because I stopped going to church... Honest to God, my relationship with God just tanked. It tanked. And I've seen that in my life. You know the time I experienced the most fulfillment and freedom in my life was when I consistently met with God's people? I, can't, I mean, it's just the pattern. And I've seen it. It's almost so common that it's comical, okay? Uh, you'll, you'll just be there one Sunday, and then you'll miss another one. And it's okay. We all have busy schedules. I understand that. You, you have to miss all right, we get that. Uh, but then this is another Sunday, and then, oh, well, I'm really busy today, or I'm really tired today, or, man, I just don't, I'm not in the mood today. Or, and then a month turns into two months, and two months to six months, and then six months to a year. And then eventually, like, whoa, 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 where am I at right now? What happened? It's always slow. It's always gradual. And it's always one step at a time. And then you wind up struggling with that relationship that you had freedom in. Or that addiction that had such a grip hold on you that that was broken when you're at church and meeting with other people, it begins to take a hold again. You begin to struggle more and more. It's not by accident. It's not coincidence. It's because when we begin to drift from God's people and meeting consistently together to experience God, we drift from God himself. And that distance is felt. The church is not optional, right? We have to be consistently meeting with God and experiencing him. Now, some of you here, and you're like, okay, I get it, I get it. And I get that point. It's not optional. You got me sold. All right, but actually, why do we actually meet on Sunday mornings? I mean, what's the point? And we're going to talk about that. And I think there are two primary reasons that we meet on Sunday mornings. These are kind of the big picture Reasons. The first reason we meet is we meet to receive from God. The second reason we meet is we meet to give to God. We meet to receive from God. We meet to give to God. We meet to receive from God inspiration. We meet to receive encouragement. We, uh, we meet to receive his spirit and the feeling of freedom and power that comes when meeting as a community. And we meet to give to God time, resources, talent, treasure, all the above. That's why we meet. So I want to talk about how we meet on, uh, how we consistently meet uh, to receive from God. Right? And when we meet to receive from God, um, the first way, is through practical, biblical teaching. I want to take a look at the uh, um, at Matthew chapter twenty-eight. It's the mission that Christ gave to His church, 
in uh, 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? There's an assumption here that people don't know and they need to be taught. There's an assumption here that we don't know and we need to be taught. We need to come to learn more about the scriptures on a consistent basis. Did you guys know that the church began with a sermon? Did you guys know that? Acts chapter 2. Peter, okay, he's preaching. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, Peter comes and he's, Peter stood up with the 11, that's the other disciples, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then uh, commence to preach a sermon. Actually, the whole book of Acts is structured around the sermons of Peter and Paul. The church began with a sermon. It began with a talk similar to what we do here right now. It began with that. But you know, it's not just even the pattern that we see in the New Testament. There's real power in it. There's real effective change in it. 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17 is a great passage that Paul writes to one of his protégés, Timothy. It's a leader and a pastor. And it says, all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's 2 Timothy three sixteen. All of Scripture is God-breathed. And it says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Scripture has power. The Scripture, when rightly understood, has effective change. Every single page of that Bible that you hold in your hands, when rightly understood, I have to emphasize that, when correctly understood, its principles will change your life. Really. It's God-breathed, God's word to us. And we are really, really concerned here to make sure that we present the Bible in a relevant way, in a practical way that you can live your life with. But we can't make you do it. You have to take those and live them out. See, it's important to understand that God's word is not true because it is relevant. It is relevant because it is true. And we have to understand that order. God's word is true first. Relevance follows after that. See, some of us want it just to be relevant. You know, we just want it to be uh, um, true because it's relevant. So we can start, ah, well, that's not really applying to me right now. I'm not really feeling that. So I'm going to start taking out those verses. They make me a little uncomfortable. Or, you know, uh, ah, what do you mean? Uh, don't cheat on my wife or whatever. I don't, know what to, I don't know what to say. What do you mean all that? Oh, I shouldn't do that. Ah, uh, but I want to, so let me cut that out. No, it's, it's relevant because it's true. And it's real, right? And it makes a difference in your life because it's true. And we believe so much. You know what? I'm just a big copycat up here. I promise you, I'm a copycat. Nothing original comes out of me because I want everything I say up here to be from the Bible. And I'm okay with that because my words don't mean a whole lot. But God's do, and they really change. But that's not the only reason we kind of come together um, to receive from God. The second way we do is actually through music, through, through creative arts, through, through art and technology and, and, and the different arts that we have. And it's really important to understand that we receive from God through the creative media and the arts that we have. 
And this isn't anything new. There's a great book in the Bible called Psalms. It's the longest book of the whole Bible. You should read it. It's awesome. It's 150 chapters long, and it's just one song after another. It's what the early church used as their songbook. It's what we often use as inspiration for our songs. Creative arts are extremely important. You know, Jesus, right, right before he was going to go and be crucified, you know what he was doing? He was singing. Let's look at it, Mark 14. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus was a singing Savior. He liked to sing. He loved the arts. The Apostle Paul and one of his um, uh, co-guys co uh, named Silas, um, he was uh, beaten, hurt, broken, in prison. And what is he doing? Let's look. It's in Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Music and art builds a bridge from concept to reality. It builds a bridge from something that seems abstract to something that hits us down in the core of who we are. God made it that way. And we receive from God through the arts. Jamie's going to come up. He's our creative arts director. And we're going to talk a little bit for a minute about uh, uh, what this means and what we do uh, on a consistent basis to try to make these mornings, um, try to integrate this principle in a Sunday morning. Jamie, good to see you. Good to see you, Josh. Your goatee looks pretty good today. Thank you. Your hair, not so much. Sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you look great. Um, what, how do we get, I think one question that probably may be burning in minds, maybe not, but it's burning, always burns in my mind when I'm out there, is how does a church or how do we specifically get from Monday to Sunday? Um, a lot of work. Um, we uh, actually start way before Monday uh, comes around. We're definitely planning, uh, hopefully, mo most of the time, months in advance and trying to come up with series. Once we come up with a series, then everything kind of flows out of that series. Graphics, and we're, we're, we're working on graphics. We're working on bumper videos and, and all kinds of stuff like that. All the fun stuff. I have a very fun job. So, um, but it just takes a lot of planning, a lot of team. Yeah. Um, once, once we get an idea, once we have a series and we start rolling on that series and we um, uh, begin working, um, man, we're meeting with different people, meeting with different, uh, you know, uh, Charlie and, and, and different people and Chris Suttle and, and, and just coming up with ideas. How can we emphasize, how can we drive home this point um, that we're trying to make this big idea and uh, we really try to surround every talk. Um, we try to do our best to make sure that the music's, you know, uh, with what we're talking about. But, it, you know, Monday, it's just a, pretty much a big just go as hard as you can go and, yeah. uh, and get it done. And, and it's a lot of fun, though. We have a, we have a great team of people, and um, they're a lot of fun to work with. Absolutely. So we definitely uh, try to make sure we have a big idea, which today's is. Oh, uh, experience God consistently or drift from God continuously. All right, that's a big idea if you didn't catch it. All right, anyway, um, so we try to do everything around that. So uh, how do we know, how are we intentional about our environment? All right, we want to be intentional. Yeah, I, there's a ton of different ways we do that. We do that from um, graphics to lighting to all these different technical. We like to use technology. I mean, you can go jump in the pool up there on the screen. Um, that'd be really I nice like right, now. right now. That would sweating. be nice to be sitting in that right now. Um, but uh, but yeah, we just try. We want to make a comfortable environment for every single person. Um, we want to make sure you're able to come in here 
and um, experience God, and you're able to, um, from, from the beginning, from when you walk through the door till, you're, till we leave, uh, we want you to have a good experience, and we want to create an environment and an atmosphere is huge. It's important. Um, Jesus was Absolutely. constantly moving, going to different places. He, there was a reason he worshiped in the garden, because it was pretty. We want to make things nice. We want to make things um, uh, a great place. Um, atmosphere means a lot to us, and uh, we just want to make sure it's all cohesive and, uh, and it works together. We're still learning. We still make mistakes. We like to try, and we like to experiment. Um, and uh, we're very intentional about everything we do. So if it's bad, we were intentional about making it bad. You're not I, supposed to say that, um, dude. Um, no, it, it was probably a good idea or a good, bad idea gone bad. Good um, idea gone bad. There you go. There you go. So, Cool. So um, one of the big things that we get questions about, but is how, how do we, like, kind of fulfill the Great Commission? I think that's an amazing question. It's our mission. How, what do you think we do on Sunday mornings? How does Sunday morning fit into uh, fulfilling that mission that Jesus gave us? Yeah, that's, that's really important to us. That is, that is why we do what we do. That's why I get up um, after I'm just dog tired on Monday morning and we start again and we start Absolutely. getting ready for the week. That is everything to us is to fulfill the Great Commission and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to make an environment to do that. Um, that's why we have coffee. That's why we have you know everything that we do. That's why we sing Beatles songs at the beginning of the service called Let It Be. And some of you are like, why are we singing a Beatles song this morning? He's gone mad. <laughs> it's not for you. You're tripping out. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Like the Beatles. Well, yeah. We, we were going to we – I was looking at doing the song Come Together this week because I thought, well, that really fits – the theme, but man, I was, I'm looking at the lyrics of that song. If you know the song, the chorus is amazing. They were completely sober when they wrote the chorus, but man, they were tripping when they wrote those verses. Tripping bad, huh? tripping, and it was yeah, um, yeah, it was it's crazy. But we want you know, but we're constantly coming up with ideas to be able to do that because because when you come into a, a new facility, you know, many of you, you know, when you were looking for a church and you landed at Grace Crossing. It's an uncomfortable experience. Absolutely. It is a weird thing, especially if you've never been to church. There's tons of people now nowadays. You, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you had people, everybody had been to church at some point. They, they'd had some church experience, whether it was once a year, twice a year, whatever. They'd had some touch of it. Now, people are coming to church for the very first time. They don't even know who Jesus is. They're just searching, and, and God's leading them here through friends and relationships and and, and they're, they're coming into a place like this. Can you imagine if you didn't know anything about church? And we try to visualize this every week as we're planning. But can you imagine coming to a foreign place? You don't know what's going on. You don't know what it's all about. And now we're going to stand up. We're going to put lyrics on the song, and we're all just going to sing together. That, that, that's weird. Really, when you look at it, I was raised in church. I, I, it's all I know and, and so it's just so familiar to me, but we have to put ourselves in other people's shoes. And it's all about the gospel. It's all about preaching the gospel, speaking God's word. And, and that's why we do those kind of songs so that, hey, well, I know that song. It's, so now it's a familiar place. Now they, they already feel comfortable. That's why we use humor. That's why we use videos. That's because we want people to feel comfortable. And we want to we want to open the door so that we could preach the gospel and to speak into their lives. It's it's everything to us. Absolutely. So I got a challenge for you. Okay. Um, <laughs> you guys ready for this? Uh, my challenge is uh, next Easter, if you can do a Snoop Dogg, um, <laughs> somehow incorporated, instead of gin and juice, bread and juice. or um, I got my mind on my Savior, my Savior on my mind. There we go. 
There we go. All right, dude. Very good. Nice. Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. So we come to receive from God. And we're very intentional here about that. We want to make sure that practical teaching and that we're engaging you in some kind of, some kind of music, right? A visual experience that we, that we, that we want to give. Because we think that's important. Incorporate the whole brain as much as we can uh, to learning about this amazing message. But it's not just about receiving from. It's about giving to. Giving to. And how do you give to God when we meet together as a community? Well, I think we do it in two uh, distinct ways. The first way is that each of us has a personal mission that God and ministry that God has given to us. Every single person in this place, God has uniquely gifted you with a ministry, a place to serve that he wants you to do. I think we can see this principle in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, where it says, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. He's given you something unique. He's given you something to do. Now, we have plenty of opportunities here for ministry. We talked about making an environment. We have a first impressions team. I don't know if you guys knew that. We have a first impressions team. Right now, uh, we're, we're looking for people to come and help us and join us in a first impressions team. Who likes coffee? I love coffee. I'm an addict. I'm going to raise my hand. Okay, if you're coming in and you don't know Jesus, you're already thinking everybody's a cult anyway. But what if you come in and, uh, hey, this person's actually nice. And, hey, they have coffee. And, hey, nobody's making me feel weird. Hey, the first impressions team makes a big impression. And it's extremely important. And we need people to volunteer for the first impressions ministry. It might seem like it's small. It's not huge impact. If you're interested in that, uh, Mike Page uh, is our church life director. He'd love to get you plugged in. Mike at gracecrossingchurch.net. Again, Mike at gracecrossingchurch.net. You can send him an email um, and, or just talk to him after service. And he, what well, Mike, can you raise your hand? I know. They just talk to him after service. Okay, and he'll get you connected with the first impressions team. Huge. Man, we need qualified and committed adults to be a good influence and positive influence in the lives of our students, in the lives of the next generation, all the way from infants all the way through high school. We have a middle school ministry, we have a high school ministry. We have, uh, you know, um, kindergarten through fifth grade. We have a preschool and an infants, and we have a welcome team. It's extremely important that families feel welcome when they come in here. If you smile and you I got a nice smile, man, we want you. Come help us out because you'll have a huge impact. We're going to come up with connection groups in the fall, revamping the whole thing. It's going to be an awesome time. Man, we're going to need connection group leaders. We're going to need people that host would host a home. Figure out what God is telling you to do. Maybe it's outside of these walls. Man, let us know. If it fits into what we're doing in our mission, we may be able to partner with you. Let us know what's going on, what God is doing. Each and every one of you has a personal ministry that God's uniquely gifted you to do. But all of us, no matter who we are, and all of us have that ministry, but man, we, don't even ha- we don't have an excuse for this, this one. All of us have relationships. And all of us are called to use those relationships for the kingdom of God, for the highest cause that we have. 
And that's the second thing is using our relational influence. Giving to God is getting in ministry, but using our relational influence to influence people towards Jesus Christ. Do you know that the most loving thing that you can do is to help a person get one step closer to Jesus? That is the most caring thing you can do. It's not about making someone a project. It's about being concerned about where they are. It's about loving them the best that you can possibly do. Look at that verse again. Work at telling others the good news. Now, I understand that this is difficult. When you're sitting across the you know, coffee table from someone and you're having a coffee with them and they start talking to you about the meaning of life and about God and all this stuff and you feel like you don't know the answers, that's nerve-wracking. I get it. I still get nervous and I've trained in this for years. But here's where we come in. And it's a very simple strategy. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. Look, you invest into the relationships you have. You all have friends, you all have family members. You invest into those relationships. Take them out to coffee, take them out to dinner. Love them, man. Be, I mean, they're not a project. Be, you know, just be friends with them. Love them, of course. But understand that the best thing you can do is bring them towards Jesus. So then invite them to church. And, and you know what? We'll do the hard part. We'll say the things that they, ah, I can't believe they said that. Okay, we'll do the difficult part. We'll bring the challenges. We will preach the Bible. We will try to give an application. We will give a gospel message. That's what we'll do. We'll do our part, but we cannot do your part. We cannot invite people. And if you guys will invest and then you will invite, God will do some pretty amazing stuff. We'll take the big load. Okay, we'll do that. You do what you can do, and we'll do what we can do. And we'll partner together to do it. Invest and invite. It's extremely important. Now remember, guys, the bottom line. If you either experience God consistently, or you will drift from God continuously. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.